my friends. I'm Norm Longwell, and I'm glad you're here today for episode uh, eight, I think. I think this is eight uh, of the Jesus Society podcast, a conversation about relationship renewal and purpose in the kingdom of God. Uh, I hope you're all doing well in the midst of the, uh, the, the coronavirus um, pandemic that we're all experiencing. Um, most of you probably should be uh, at home or working from home unless you're um, unless you're in the medical field or law enforcement or, or some other essential uh, essential activity. Um, uh, and if you are if you are still moving about, um, uh, please be safe. I, I, we're, we're grateful. Um, if you're in the healthcare care field and you're and you're up to your eyeballs in all this, boy, we're grateful for you. Um, we appreciate what you're doing, and um, and we uh, we just hope you uh, hope hope everybody stays safe in all this. Um, I live in southern Middle Tennessee, and and um, things are pretty calm uh, here. Nashville's got it um, pretty bad, although not nearly as bad as as New York, but um, still cases are growing every day, and uh, but here in my little corner of the world, things are, things are pretty calm. So, um, uh, we're all home. My wife and son and I are all here working from home and, and, uh, you know, it's just, uh, for me, I, it's, I like having my family around. So it's sort of really nice that, uh, that we're all here at home. So, um, but, but I realize our experience is not like everybody else's. So, um, I just hope you're safe. And uh, I, I want to—I'll I'll say this too, because um, I, I know—I know some people are going stir crazy from being um, uh, cooped up and not able to to um, be as active and and um, um, social as they normally are. And um, I, I want to say, um, you know, God God does His work in whatever circumstances are available. And I know from experience that, and I talked about this a little bit a few weeks ago, um, God will find things to do in our lives in the midst of what feels often like uh, misery and heartache and discomfort. And so I want to just reiterate again and, and encourage you again to pay attention to what God might be wanting to do in your life um, at this time. If you're, if your world has come to a to a screeching halt, and you and you don't like it, some people um, their world has come to a screeching halt and they love it. <laughs> but if you're not one of those people, um, ask God what he what he might like to do in your in your heart and in your life and in your mind. Um, in the midst of, of all this. And you might find that you might find he has something to say uh, about all that. Um, and pay particular attention if you're really frustrated or angry or you know if you've got some emotional r- response to this, um, this is just based on experience. Um, uh, emotions are often a window into, into some things that are going on deep in our soul. So bring those to God. Ask God, Lord, what do you want? Why do I feel this way? Help me understand why I'm why I'm so frustrated or why I'm so angry or why. Uh, help me help me understand that. And and you might just find 
that that the Lord has something to say uh, to you, and He might bring some some insight and some uh, enlightenment uh, in your world, and and might this might be an opportunity for the Lord to do some real good um, soul work um, in your in your life, and and you can come out of this thing in a lot better place. So, just a little. Just a little friendly, friendly advice. Um, I have found in my life a lot of times when I am, when life is not going my way and I'm really angry or frustrated about it, bringing those emotions to God and and asking Him to help me sort through why I'm so frustrated and and why I'm having such a hard time with this. Um. I have found a lot of times God helps me work through some stuff that I really needed to be working through. And so it's a good thing. So anyway, moving into our uh, um, subject for today. Um, last week we we talked about um, the restoration of Israel. I hope you uh, listened to that podcast because we're going to kind of be building on that a little bit today. And um, the, the, the idea of the restoration of Israel is, a, is an idea that we see in a lot of Old Testament passages. Uh, for instance, one we didn't talk about, uh, Amos chapter 9, uh, verses 11 through 15. Uh, God will talk about a day when he will restore the fallen tent of David, he says. He says, I'll repair its gaps, I'll restore its ruins, I'll rebuild it as in the days of old. So there's this idea that I'm going to be I'm going to rebuild Israel. I'm going to restore it. I'm going to renew it, right? And and we see that a lot uh, all through the prophets. And I want to suggest that the restoration of Israel is linked to Jesus' announcement that the kingdom of God has come. Okay? So when Jesus arrives on the scene and begins his public ministry, Mark uh, chapter 1 verse 15, he'll say the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Uh, repent and believe the good news. And when he, when he makes that announcement, he's making a, a time statement and a proximity statement. He says, he says, the time is fulfilled. In other words, this is the day that you have been waiting for. It's, it's now, okay? And he, he also says, the kingdom of God has come near, Okay, so so what he's saying is is that what he is doing is here, and it's now the kingdom has arrived. Okay, so I want us to take a look today at um, Luke chapter four um, verses verses sixteen and following, um, and it's the it's a story. Um, Jesus is coming to to his hometown, which is Nazareth. And he's about to kind of initiate his public ministry, okay? And I want to look at this passage because this is a passage that is often uh, held up as um, a, a, a kind of a key passage if you want to understand Jesus' kingdom vision, okay? A lot of people go to Luke 4. So, so I, want to, I want to sort of unpack this a little bit um, and, and sort of bring um, something that might be a little different than what what sometimes you hear when you talk about this passage. Um, so Jesus uh, comes into his hometown, Nazareth. Um, he goes into the synagogue. Um, we're told it's the Sabbath day, and they give him a scroll. 
and it happens to be a scroll of um, the book of Isaiah. And Jesus unrolls it uh, to the place that he wants to read from, which, as it turns out, is Isaiah chapter chapter 61. Now, they didn't have chapters back then, but it's what we know as Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 and 2. And Jesus begins to read. And this is what he reads. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Okay, so that passage that he reads from Isaiah 61 starts off with the assertion that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Again, we saw last week the the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Holy Spirit was a big part of the promise in the Old Testament text that looked forward to the restoration of Israel and the coming of the Messianic kingdom. Okay, So Jesus reads this. And when he finishes reading from Isaiah 61, we're told that he closed the book, uh, rolled up the scroll again, gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. And everybody's eyes are on him. Everybody's looking at him. And he says to them, he says this. He says, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now, just put yourself, put yourself in that in that crowd, in that synagogue on that day. And and Jesus gets up and he reads from this scroll, this text from Isaiah, and, and you've heard this text before because you're a good Jew, right? Um, and then he says, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. That's a, that's a heavy statement, right? And how do the people respond? Well, verse 22 uh, tells us that All were speaking well of him and wondering at the gracious words which were falling from his lips. And they were saying, is this not Joseph's son? Okay. So so the question we need to be asking at this point is, what did the people in that synagogue on that day, what did they think Jesus was talking about in all that? What did they hear in that statement and in that reading that maybe we don't, okay? So I want to give you a little bit of backstory here. So uh, Jesus is reading from Isaiah 61 here. So Isaiah in chapter 61 is writing in his day about the future return from Babylon, okay? Israel's in exile in Babylon at the time. And Isaiah is writing about the future return from Babylon and the rebuilding of the ancient ruins of the cities that had been destroyed. Okay, Now, lest you have any doubts about what life was like for an Israelite who had been carted away in captivity into Babylon, uh, I want to read a few verses from Psalm Psalm 137. Okay, Um, Psalm 137 is a psalm um, that that talks about what it's like to be in captivity in Babylon as an Israelite, okay? So this is Psalm 137, uh, 1 through 6, and it says this. And just hear the, hear the heart of the, of the writer here, of the psalmist in all this, and imagine that you're in captivity in Babylon, and these are the words that, that come, okay? Psalm 137, 1 through 6. By the rivers of Babylon... 
There we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. Okay, now remember Zion is is um, a kind of a code for Jerusalem. Okay, so we sat down and we wept when we remembered Zion or Jerusalem. Upon the willows, so they're sitting by the river, right? And they and they're weeping, right? Um, upon the willows, in the midst of it, we hung our harps. So they're not playing their harps; they're hanging them up, right? For there our captors demanded of us songs and our tormentors mirth, saying, Sing one of, the, one of the songs of Zion. But how can we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, may my right hand forget her skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you, if I do not exalt Jerusalem above my chief joy. Okay, for, so from from Israel's perspective, they're they're being held prisoners in a foreign land by people the psalmist will refer to as captors and tormentors, right? And Isaiah is speaking to these downcast captive people in Isaiah sixty one, and he says everything that we heard Jesus just quote in Luke four, okay. But here's the important part of all this here. In the context of Isaiah 61 that Jesus quotes, who are the captives? The captives are the Israelites, right? And the promise is that they're going to return from Babylon and the Lord is going to rebuild, okay? The Lord is once again going to show favor on Israel. He'll he'll give them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, festive oil instead of mourning, and splendid clothes instead of despair, okay? And they will be called righteous trees planted by the Lord to glorify Him. They will rebuild the ancient ruins. They'll restore the former devastations. They'll renew the ruined cities and devastations of many generations, okay? That's Isaiah 61.3. That's the That's the verse right after the verse that Jesus read, okay? So so in Luke 4, as Jesus stands in the synagogue and he reads um, that passage, the message that anyone present that day would have heard uh, Jesus say is that God is finally going to restore Israel and things are going to be good again, okay? I just realized that I'm sitting here talking and I didn't I didn't put my headphones on which I normally do so I know whether whether this is uh, coming through or not so I'm gonna stop and um, put my headphones on whoop phone's ringing forgot to turn the phone off okay technical difficulties here in the Jesus Society studios Okay, now we're back. And now I have forgotten where I was. Um, the Lord the Lord is going to restore Israel, okay? So in Luke chapter 4, as Jesus stands in the synagogue and he reads this passage, um, the message that anyone present that day would have heard Jesus saying is that now God is finally going to restore Israel and things are going to be good again. And Jesus says... This is being fulfilled right now in your hearing. And this is good news 
to any Jewish person sitting in that synagogue that day, right? And part of what they're thinking probably is that, you know, part of part of what this has got to mean if God's coming back and he's going to um, uh, finally uh, restore Israel to what Israel ought to be, that's got to mean that Rome is going to be overthrown in all this, okay? So when Jesus says, today as you listen, this scripture has been fulfilled, they're pretty excited about that. This is good news, and it's hitting them that way, okay? Now, let me make a little kind of side point here. We need to be a little bit careful about ripping these verses out of their original context and making them refer to people in, in prison today in our world, okay? Um, Jesus' audience certainly would not have been thinking that Jesus is coming here to initiate some sort of prison ministry, okay? Prison ministries are fine. They're good things. Um, but they're not applauding him here because he just told them he's going to start a prison ministry, okay? This is all restoration of Israel material. And to the Jews who heard Jesus that day, this is extremely good news. And they're stoked, and they're saying good things about him and the, and the gracious words that are falling from his lips, all right? But Jesus isn't done talking. And what he's about to say next isn't going to sit nearly as well with them, okay? So in Luke chapter 4, verses 23 through 27... Jesus is going to shift focus, and he's going to talk about God's interest in the Gentiles. Now, that goes back to Genesis 12, right, we've, which we've talked about. God's always been interested in the outsiders, the people who are not Israel. He's, he's always intended for them to, to kind of be brought in and be a part of this, all right? Um, so this is not new stuff. This is, this is all this is in the Bible, according to Jesus. And Jesus reminds them of two well-known stories from the Old Testament that show God's interest in outsiders. So here's what he says in, in Luke chapter 4, 23 through 27. Jesus then said to them, No doubt you will quote this proverb to me, Doctor, heal yourself. What we've heard that took place in Capernaum do here in your hometown also. He also said... Truly, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. But I say to you, there were certainly many widows in Israel in Elijah's day when the sky was shut up for three years and six months while a great famine came all over the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them except a widow at Zarephath in Sidon. And in the prophet Elisha's time, there were many in Israel who had leprosy. And yet not one of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. Okay, so Jesus reminds him of these two stories. There's the story of, the, of the Elijah and the widow of Zarephath. She's, she's not an Israelite, right? And that's in 1 Kings um, chapter 17, uh, verses 8 through 24. You can look that up. Uh, the other story is the story of Elijah, Elisha and Naaman the Syrian. That's 2 Kings chapter 5, okay? Okay. Um, so th these are um, the point Jesus is making in all this is that God has always been interested in non-Jews. But in making that point here, in the synagogue, on the Sabbath day, 
in Nazareth. Um, God, uh, the, the Jewish people understood, you know, if they've read their Bibles, and they had, that God has had some interest in Gentiles. But in making that point here, this day, Jesus is implying that when God was helping in those two stories, when God was helping the, the, the non-elect, the, the foreigners, he was ignoring the elect. In other words, he was ignoring Israel. Okay? That's what he, uh, that's what he says, right? Um, there were many, many widows uh, in Israel, but Elisha, Elijah wasn't going to any of them. He was going to this widow in Zarephath, right? Um, there were lots of lepers, in Elisha's day, but none of them were cleansed uh, in Israel, only this foreigner, right? And when he, when he makes the point that in helping these, these foreigners, these Gentiles, God was ignoring Israel, that is the point at which they, the, the, these people that are sitting in the synagogue in, in, when Jesus is reading this, this is the point that they, where they lose it, okay? They cannot tolerate that. Now, when you're when you're one of the elect, and and this is this is sadly true of Christians sometimes also, one of the strange ideas that sometimes pop into your into your head is that is that God is only involved with you, that He's only interested in you, um, and that's a strange idea. But but sometimes we sometimes we even get that way, right? But see, election is not about you having a claim on God, which is what we sometimes think, but about God having a claim on you, right? So in Luke 4, Jesus says, the restoration of Israel is here, but it's going to include Gentiles. And he's implying that it may not, it may not always include all the Jews, Right? And their reaction is immediate. They want to kill him. Okay? So we can't forget, as we read this, we can't forget what God's doing here. We can't forget what we've been talking about all along. Okay? In the restoration of Israel, God is recreating Israel as she was always supposed to be. A kingdom that is all-inclusive. And those who are already in Israel who want to stay with God's program and accept Jesus as their king are welcome, welcome to stay. But he's inviting Gentiles in as well. And they will all collectively be called Israel, the restored Israel, the new Israel. Think about it this way. Israel is being given a new king. Okay? Now, some, some Jews will accept this new king, and they will follow this new king, Jesus. But some Jews don't like this new king, Jesus. Some, some Jews are going to be protesting in the streets and holding up signs that say, not my king, right? And those Israelites who do not accept Israel's new king don't get to be a part of Israel anymore. And of course, that makes sense right? Um, this, this new king is chosen by God himself. And in fact, this new king is God himself. 
And if you are unwilling to submit to the rule of Israel's king, you don't get to be part of Israel anymore. Because again, God is trying to build this beautiful, loving, holy community through which he can share his love with people and change the world. But in order for that to work, everybody's got to be on the same page. You can't build a community of peace and love when the folks in the, in the community don't accept the one in charge, right? And so going forward, all those who call themselves Israel are the ones who agree with and align themselves with what God is doing in Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the new King of Israel. It's no longer based on DNA. And in fact, it never was, as we talked about last week. And Paul will say in Romans 9, verse 6, that not all who are descended from Israel, genetically, he doesn't use the word genetically, but not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. Okay? There's a new standard. It's not even really new, right? It's based on faith and trust and allegiance. And Jesus is is bringing together this somewhat new group of people under his reign, and he will call this people the kingdom of God. So to bring this all together, when Jesus arrives, the Jews are expecting a Messiah and a messianic kingdom that is going to restore Israel was what she, to what she was supposed to be. Now, to some extent, they had lost sight of what Israel was supposed to be, which is in part why they didn't recognize Jesus as the Messiah. Jesus announces a kingdom that he will inaugurate, but it, it will not be fully consummated until the end of time. Okay, But in the person of Jesus, God will reveal himself to earth. Okay, The law instructed Israel about God and about what loving God and loving neighbor was. Jesus demonstrated God to Israel. And he showed them how to love God and how to love others. And here's the thing. God had never given up on the idea of blessing the nations, the Gentiles, and bringing all mankind into his fold. Because remember, that is why he created us all in the first place. And he had never given up on Israel. Israel was always a part of God's plan. They were always going to be the apple of his eye. Zechariah 2, verse 8. They were always going to be a people for his own possession. Deuteronomy 7 and 14 and Exodus 19. They were always going to be a kingdom of priests. Exodus 19, verse 6. But again, who is Israel? In the Old Testament, Israel was defined by a covenant allegiance to Yahweh, Israel's true king. In the post-Jesus world of the New Testament, Israel will, be, Israel will be defined by allegiance to Jesus the King as the fulfillment of Israel's story. Some of those people would be ethnic Jews who accept and swear allegiance to Jesus as Israel's Messiah, but some would also be Gentiles who also accept and swear allegiance to Israel's Messiah, and together they will comprise the Israel of God, as Paul will talk uh, talk about in he doesn't he just mentions it in Galatians six sixteen. But that is you, 
and that is me. The children of Jesus, the Messiah King, are the continuation, the fulfillment of Israel, God's chosen people, a royal priesthood, a, a people for his own possession, as Peter will say in 1 Peter 2.9. Okay, so, gosh, I'm, uh, I'm not firing on all cylinders here. I'm banging stuff and it's going to be a noisy podcast. So, uh, what, is, what is this kingdom of God as envisioned by Jesus? What's it supposed to look like? Why, why is this declaration such good news? Because it affects people in the here and now in ways it never had. See, and we, we really need to come to grips with this, okay? And this is where part of our theology as Christians kind of needs to be straightened out. Jesus didn't just come so that he could die and we could all go to heaven, when we die, right? The, all that's true. He gave his life for us. We, we, there, is a, there is an afterlife and it's going to be grand, okay? But sometimes we talk about Christianity as though the, the, the primary benefit or sometimes the only benefit is we, we, we lock up our, our, um, our status after this life ends, Right? We, we get to go to heaven when we die. That's the gospel, we think. That's a piece of the gospel, but that is not the whole gospel by a long shot, okay? Jesus carries, cares very much about what is going on in the world today. Uh, his prayer in Matthew chapter 6 that we call the Lord's Prayer is significant in that it grounds his hope in the earth yeah, Jesus says, remember the prayer? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Okay? So Jesus really sees the kingdom as a new society in the land. A Jesus society. See how that works? Isn't that neat? And this, that, that's why I called this podcast The Jesus Society, okay? So Jesus sees the kingdom as a new society in the land. And this new kingdom society will be marked by the way its citizens are to live and to interact with, with one another and with the world. And see, this is what, this is what God has always wanted, a people for his own possession, possession tongue-tied, that will finally function as agents of blessing and compassion and redemption in the world. So the kingdom of God is God's dream for this world come true. Um, Scott McKnight, uh, the, the biblical scholar, says that God's dream was of a kingdom on earth, a society where God's will flowed like rivers of good wine. So in Luke chapter 7, John the Baptist is in prison, and Jesus is free. And John sends two of his disciples basically to ask Jesus if he really is the one they were all expecting. Was he, was he really the Messiah? Are you really the one in which we should put our hope? And these two disciples of John come to Jesus, and they ask him this, and Jesus doesn't answer the question directly, but what he says to them is revealing, particularly the last line. So Jesus says 
to John's disciples. And this is Luke 7, 22 and 23. He says, go and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Those with leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the poor are told the good news. And and this is the last line. He said, and blessed is the one who isn't offended by me. So again, the things that he points out, that he wants John to see as, as proof that he is the one he claimed to be, are the very things that he announced in Luke chapter 4. The blind are going to see. The lame are going to walk. Um, lepers are cleansed. Um, the deaf hear. And the poor hear the good news. There's a, there's a song, by the way. Um, the group uh, Acapella. Um, if you know the group Acapella, you, you'll know how cool they are. Um, they've been around for a long, long, long time. But there is a song, and you'll have to hunt for it. And I can't remember which album it's on. But there is a song that tells this story about John the Baptist going, sending his disciples to go see Jesus. And the and the song is called, and it's a like when you when you hear the song, it's just like it makes me almost cry when I hear it. The song is called "Go Tell John." So look for it. See if you can find it. I don't know if it's on Spotify or iTunes or I, I don't know. But if you can find that song, it's an excellent song. Go tell John, right? It's a great song. Um, the things that, that Jesus points out are that, that John needs to see are the things he mentioned in, in Luke 4, okay? And then right at the end of that, he says, Blessed is the one who isn't offended by me. Okay? Jesus puts himself right at the center of the issue there and says, don't trip over this. Don't trip over me. Okay? So when Jesus said kingdom, when he said the word kingdom, he envisioned a society characterized by a people who would live with God and with others in a way that embodied the will of God in a a new kind of society. And some of the places where the rubber met the road was in how we treat one another and how we care for one another, especially the most vulnerable among us. And that's why in Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 46, when Jesus talks about his return, he'll talk about separating the sheep from the goats, Right? He'll put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And Jesus' litmus test in that passage for who's going to inherit the kingdom of God and who is not are things like feeding the hungry, quenching the thirst of the thirsty, taking care of strangers, clothing the naked, tending the sick, visiting those in prison. Okay? So what is the kingdom of God? What is this Jesus society that we've been building to, right? Kingdom, in Jesus' view, is a society empowered by love. Kingdom is a society that cares for others deeply. Kingdom is a society that is shaped by justice and righteousness. Kingdom is a society dwelling in peace Kingdom is a society flowing with wisdom. And kingdom is a society that follows its king, who is Jesus. 
So what is the relationship of the kingdom to the church? Well, I believe what the Bible teaches is that there is no kingdom outside the church. The church is the kingdom. The church is the new Israel. And it is, again, comprised of people from all walks of life, from all uh, tribes and tongues and gender and class and race, right? It is Jews and it is Gentiles. Because kingdom people are redeemed, and the church is the collection of redeemed people. Only redeemed people can be kingdom kingdom people. And in the church, as as Jesus envisioned it, as Jesus and sometimes there's there's been a lot of people, right? And and I'm keenly aware of this, and and, and we're going to be talking about a lot of this kind of stuff. But there have been a lot of people hurt by church in today's world. Um, there have been people abused by church. The church, churches don't always get this right. But as G, what I want us to see is the church as Jesus envisioned it, and that needs to be our goal, and that needs to be what we're aiming for. And anything that doesn't line up with that needs to be given the boot, needs to be um, d- destroyed with extreme prejudice. Okay? Um, so... As Jesus envisioned the church, um, he he envisioned this kind of society, this kingdom society. Okay, uh, we we build relationships in the church. We don't destroy relationships. We build relationships that create family, God's family. We we teach virtues that prevent poverty and heartache. We provide care and relief for the hurting and the vulnerable in the world. We rescue those in trouble. We provide soul care, healing and hope for for broken and fractured souls and fractured relationships. And the apostles were kind of a microcosm of all this. I don't know if you've ever thought about this or not, but um, among Jesus' apostles were, were two guys that, sh- that had no reason in the world to get along, okay? So we had Matthew, and Matthew was a tax collector, and he worked for the Roman, he was a Jew who worked for the Roman government to extract excessive taxes from his own people, okay? What kind of sleazeball is that, right? All, and Jesus chose him to be an apostle. Another guy that Jesus chose to be apostle was a guy named Simon the Zealot. Okay, now zealots um, in Jesus' day were Roman haters. They, like they were, they were extreme. Like these are the guys that would that would slip up on a on a Roman soldier in a big crowd of people and and pull out a knife and stab him in the back and then disappear in the crowd. Right. Um, like they hated Romans, Romans, and they hated people who, um, like Matthew, who kind of they they would see as um, betrayers, right, of of who they were. Out in the world, guys like Simon would have would have hated guys like Matthew, but yet they were brought together in the apostles. And they were transformed, both of them, by Jesus from enemies to brothers. 
And that is what the kingdom of God does. Everywhere God's people go, things are supposed to get better. There's supposed to be more peace. There's supposed to be more hope. There's supposed to be more love. There's supposed to be more freedom. There's supposed to be more joy, more kindness, more compassion, right? And that, friends, that is the Jesus Society. And with that, I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope you'll be with us again next week and uh, in the weeks to come. Um, again, I really hope you're doing well. I'm, I'm, I'm praying for all of you. Um, I hope that this time of um, when your whole world has been sort of thrown uh, a curveball, I, I hope you stay open to the ways in which God is will try to do to bring some good from from this. God always brings good from whatever happens. Okay, doesn't mean He causes the the bad, but He will always redeem the bad. Okay, so so look for that. Um, we would appreciate if you, appreciate it if you tell others about the podcast. If you if you enjoy this show, please subscribe. Please uh, rate us and review us on um, iTunes or Spotify or iHeartRadio. Some of you are listening from there uh, or Stitcher or wherever you go. Um, Thanks for listening. I hope you have a great week ahead, and I hope you'll be back. And remember, you are greatly loved.